Welcome to the Change Management Review Podcast, where we bring the best of change management to you. In this Meet the Expert episode, Managing Editor Brian Gorman and Erica Anderson, founding partner of Proteus International, discuss a simple change model as well as practical tools for helping bring together both the technical and the human sides of change management. We hope you enjoyed this installment of the Change Management Review Podcast. Hello, I'm Brian Gorman, Managing Editor of Change Management Review, and my guest today is Erica Anderson. Erica is the founding partner of Proteus International, a coaching, consulting, and training firm that focuses on leader readiness. For over three decades, she served as a consultant and advisor to top executives at today's leading organizations, including Amazon, Spotify, Charter Spectrum, and the Yale School of Public Health. Erica is the author of four best-selling books, including Growing Great Employees and Be Bad First. She is a popular leadership blogger at Forbes.com and is the host of the Proteus Leader Show, a business and leadership podcast globally ranked in the top 10%. Her newest book is Change from the Inside Out, Making You, Your Team, and Your Organization Change Capable. And Change from the Inside Out is our focus today. Welcome, Erica. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here. One of the things that I admire about Change from the Inside Out is its very clear statement that before any change is possible, a mindset shift is necessary. You present this in a very practical way using a case study that everyone can relate to that you carry throughout the entire book. Most change methodologies don't articulate or provide guidance on the importance of that shift on how we, as change practitioners, can guide organizations through the mindset shift. Would you begin by telling us a little bit about why the mindset shift and and what we as practitioners need to know about that? I would love to. And if you don't mind, I'll just contextualize it a little bit by talking about. So when I write a book, it's always because I get curious about something and I have some code that I want to crack. So, you know, we we at Proteus, my company, have had a change practice for about a decade. And I think, I believe, do a great job of integrating the kind of human side and nuts and bolts side of change. And there were still two questions that I got more and more curious about and really wanted to answer. And that's really why I started writing this book. So the first question I wanted to answer is, why is change so hard for us? Right? Because I saw people having a hard time with change, even change that they thought was positive. It still seemed hard. So that was, I wanted to answer that question. And then the other question I wanted to answer, which led directly to the understanding about the mindset shift, was... What actually happens when a person goes through a change? What what actually is happening inside that person's head, you know, mentally, emotionally, when when they go through a change? So that's what I start out. And And the why change is hard, how I answered that question was by looking at history. And I thought about, okay, let's let's think about human beings 100, 200, 500, 1,000 years ago. And until very recently, if you think about it, a particular person's life did not change much, right? So 200 years ago, 
almost everybody, they grew up in a single place. They stayed in that place their whole life. They probably did pretty much what their parents did. You know, if my dad's a pipe fitter, I'm a pipe fitter. If my dad's a farmer, I'm a farmer. You know, they had their rituals. They had their village. They had their religion. A person's life 100 or 200, 500 years ago was unimaginably to us the same from beginning to end. So that's our history. Our whole history as human beings. And when a change happened, it was generally a threat and a danger. It was a famine or a war or a plague, right? So we, for all these thousands of years, have been wired heavily, I imagine even natural selection played in there, to think of change as a bad thing, as a dangerous thing. And that almost without exception, the safe bet is to come back, is homeostasis, come back to normal, come back to a known normal. So that's our wiring, right? So no wonder now, even though over the last, you know, 50 years especially, now we have change happening every few minutes that didn't happen every hundred years. You know, I mean, you know, an example I use at the beginning of the book is when I was a little kid, I'm old enough that TV was a thing, started to be a thing when I was a little kid, right? So we got a TV in our house when I was little. And then 10 years later, we got a color TV. So even 60 years ago, that was the pace of change. It was stately and unfolded like that. Now, that level of technological innovation from black and white to color TV happens about every half hour, right? <laughs> so we're not really wired for this. We This is not what we've been doing, you know? So, okay, so I answered that question. That's why change is hard for us because we're operating as we have operated for the last many thousands of years. And all this is just so new to us. Then I got to that. All right. What happens when we go through a change? And this was so fascinating, right? So I, so what I, what we realized is that the first thing that happens is what we, and we came to call this the change arc because, you know, harder going up, easier coming down. So the first thing that happens when a change comes at us is what we've come to call proposed change. People want to know three things. It's very predictable, very consistent. People want to know, what does this mean for me? What is actually changing for me? <laughs> then they want to know, why is this happening? Because our wiring is so that we don't want to change. We need really good reasons. So why is this happening? And then the third thing we want to know is, what will it look like when it's done? Because we have this deep fear of the unknown, right? And so you say it's changing and I don't, it's blurry to me. It's like, I, I don't know what that future looks like when it's changed. So tell me what it's going to look like. And as we're starting to gather this information, because we have this deep history of change being bad, our original mindset, and this is where we get to mindset, and this is the top of the arc, our original mindset is almost always that the change itself is going to be difficult and costly and weird, right? Right, right. <laughs> and difficult means I don't know how to do this and other people are going to get in the way of me doing it. There are just going to be a lot of obstacles. That's what difficult means. Costly means it's going to take from me things I value. This change is going to take from me things I value. That's our initial assumption. And that could be um, you know, simple things like time or money. But more importantly, we assume that it's going to take things away from us like identity, reputation, relationship, freedom, all the things that you see now in our current 
problems, right? It's going to take from me all these intrinsic, really important things that I value. And then weird just means, oh, this is uh, this is not how we do things around here. So we even as we're asking these what, why, and what will it look like questions, we're assuming the negative. Our mindset is that it's going to be bad. And so we do a lot of confirmation bias, even as we're asking those questions. So then what we noticed, and this is where I got excited, very excited, Frank, is that when people made this mindset shift, they were able to make the change. And the mindset shift is very simple. That doesn't mean it's easy, but it's simple. When people start thinking this could be easy or at least doable instead of difficult, this could be rewarding versus costly. It could give me more than it takes away. And it could even be normal versus weird. And normal means other people who I think of as being like me do it and people that I admire and want to emulate do it, which is why it's so important for bosses to do things that they want their people to do. But as soon as someone starts thinking, oh, this I can see how this, this change could be doable, rewarding, normal, easy, rewarding, normal, then and only then will the person be willing to contemplate and then learn and demonstrate the behaviors that are required in order for the change to occur. And then you're on the downhill slope. The behavior, the person does the new behaviors, the change occurs. And I got so excited about this, Brian, because as you can imagine, you know, we all know this very famous uh, statistic from McKinsey that 70% of change fails, you know, and they say that the main reasons are as they frame it, lack of uh, management uh, management support and employee buy-in, right? And I thought, oh, that's they no mindset shift. They're still thinking that it's going to be difficult, costly, and weird. So they're not adopting it and the change fails, right? So um, as you can imagine, we got very excited when we figured this out. How receptive are organizational leaders to the idea that they need to think differently. They need to change in order to lead change in their organizations. As you might imagine, like everything else, it's a bell curve, right? There are some people who are like, oh my gosh, that seems exactly right. That's, I've kind of been, you know, struggling toward that understanding. My, yes, yes. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and I've had people say to me, oh my gosh, I made this change last month. That's exactly what happened. I, I came to, in my own mind, seeing how it was doable and how it could be right. Yes, yes. Okay. So you get people up at the top of the bell curve saying, absolutely, let's go. And then you get some people at the bottom of the bell curve saying, that's crazy. My people should just get with the program. <laughs> <laughs> and most people, like in most bell curves, are somewhere in the middle and they're teachable and you can help them see it, right? You know, I was thinking as you were talking about mindset shift and, and homeostasis, we've even seen that in significant leaders in response to COVID saying, yes. we're yes. going back to the office. We're going back to doing it just Absolutely. the way we've always done it. Exactly. Um, and yet there's growing evidence that that is on the side of history that yeah, is yes. fading and in away. Fact, one of our client companies, which shall remain nameless, the CEO, who's an older kind of traditional guy, he he just, he started saying last fall, okay, we're all going to be back in the office by September. And his head of technology, who's a younger guy and who I'm sure all of his people were saying, we're not going back to the office, um, gradually convinced him. And it was interesting to watch because he convinced him by 
doing exactly what we encourage, helping helping him shift his mindset. And so now he's like, well, you know, we're going to be more flexible and it's going to be hybrid. And so, you know, people can be helped. Not always, but often people can be helped to change their minds. I mean, it's fascinating to me watching these the 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 bell curve. I mean, some of our clients are there. It's like, wow, this is amazing. This gives us so many more choices. We can actually be productive in these very different ways. And therefore, let's figure out the best way to do this. And then there are other people who are just like, no, I want to, I want everybody to be in the office and I, I only believe they're productive in the office. Look at the data. I don't care about the data. I, you know, I mean, there are people who are really stuck in the first part of that change arc. Back to your book, because there's <laughs> so much richness there. As I read the book, it became clear that you see our role as change practitioners as a many-hatted role, if you will. Yes. yes, we are advisors, but we are also teachers. We are also catalysts. Could you talk a little bit about the importance of each of these roles and any others that you see as an important piece of the work that we do? Oh, that's a great question. And and I want to start by going back to something you said a couple of minutes ago is about how easy or hard is it to convince leaders that they need to do something first. So when we when we talk to people who are leaders in the sense of that they have senior positions and are influenced or leaders in the sense of that they've been tasked with leading a change, we always say to them that thing that you get said, you know, gets said to you when you're in an airplane, which is put on your own mask before attempting to help others, you know, and we really try to help them understand that unless you are yourself going through this, you are not going to have credibility that when somebody's trying to see whether a change could be easy, rewarding, and normal, as I said before, one of the main things about normal, one of the main things that makes something normative is the people I look to are doing it. So, you know, we've all been in situations, all of us who have worked in organizations where the leaders try and say some version of, well, I'm, I, you know, you guys do this, (laughs) you know, and that just, it just doesn't work. So first of all, you, you won't have credibility unless you do it, but also it's so critical to be clear about and self-reflective about your own process that once you've experienced yourself doing exactly what I just said, where you go, wow, I really am wanting to gather these this information. And I really, my mindset really is starting out where I think it's going to be difficult and costly and weird. And then you see yourself shift and you experience that you are then available to this new change. I think that until you have that experience yourself, it's really hard to guide other people through it. Almost impossible, I would say. Mm-hmm. So, so that's the first thing is, you know, get clear about your own process of going through change, both for your own benefit, but also because that's the only way you can be a leader of change. So that's, that's the core. And then I think that people who are serious about being change agents, they have to really understand that change, successful change, is always a process of integrating the really nuts and bolts I mean, at the end of the day, any change is a project that has to be managed, right? So there's that side of it, which is just nuts and bolts, do your due diligence, make a plan, do the timelines, all that. And this absolutely essential human side of it, where 
as you're doing all this nuts and boltsy stuff, you have to help people through their change arc. And so that, that I think is the essence of a good change agent is being able to do both sides of the change and integrate them well as you do them. Does that make sense? It, it, it absolutely does. You just mentioned change arc. Would you introduce that concept to our listeners briefly? Oh, I may not have named it, but that what I, that's what I was talking about before. So the change arc is the first part of it is proposed change, where you are asking those three questions. What does it mean for me? Why is it happening? What will it look like when it's done? And then you start out in that kind of negative restrictive mindset of this change is going to be difficult, costly, and weird. And then the top of the change arc is you shift over to up. Oh, oh, I can see how it could be easy, rewarding, and normal. And then the downslope of the arc is you will behave in those new ways and the change can occur. That's what we call the change arc. And so it's useful to have that as a visual because then what you can understand is that as as you know, we have a five-step change model, which does that integration I just talked about. It's a way to really clearly plan for and execute a change on the nuts and bolts level while cascading as many people as possible in the organization through that change arc so that the change actually can be adopted and can make a difference. And so I think that understanding there's that 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 arc is completely personal and that a person starts going through that arc mentally and emotionally at the point that they're introduced to the change. I think that's really helpful because another thing that we've seen happen is, okay, so at the beginning of a change, the, the leaders, especially the leaders of the organization are introduced to the change and they go through their own change arc. They ask those questions, they get the answer, they make the mindset shift. Then weeks or months later, they turn to their folks and they share the change with them. And they expect that magically those people will be where they are after months of thinking about the change. So what we say is, no, no, they're at the, be- the moment you tell them about it, they're at the beginning of their change arc. And so that's why they need your help to go through it. You need to be patient. They're not change resistant. They're not negative. They're going through exactly what you went through when you heard about the change. So hang with them while they do that. One of the things that I really admire about the book is that you give such structure in a really simple way. So you've got this five-step process that you talk about. In each step, you identify what are the goals of this step. Yes. Um, and, And you really are talking not about what are the deliverables of this step, but what are the outcomes that we're looking to to achieve if we're going to be successful in moving to the next. Yes. And then you look at that very simply at the level of leader, individual, and organization. And then for the reader, you say, okay, now try it out. Yes. <laughs> yes. You give little assignments. I would say the majority of our listeners are deeply embedded in whether it's Adcar or Cotter or Bridges or Connor or some form of methodology or approach to change, what value can they get out of this book? Oh, that's a really good question. So I believe, and anyone is welcome to disagree with me, but I believe that our approach to change does a better job of that integration of the two sides, the human and the practical. There are some models like bridges that are 
almost entirely focused on the human side. And we've we've learned a lot over the years from Bridges. And in fact, his beginnings and endings is, uh, as you know, part of step four of our model. Um, and that's really, he focuses really on that. Then there are um, people like Cotter, who focuses primarily on the nuts and bolts practical side and kind of says, yes, people are going to have a hard time, but doesn't really exactly say what you're going to do other than, you know, burning platform, I, you know, whatever. And so <laughs> I feel like just what I said, I feel like our, our approach is, as you said, structured in a simple way and helps people do both simultaneously, which I think is the key to success, to make a very good plan that's really clear, that takes into account all the important elements that need to shift in order for the change to happen, while recognizing that every person who is affected by this change is going to have to be helped through it. We could go on for hours on this. We could. This would be fun. I guess the final thought is something that you and I I said before we started, before we hit the record button, which is this is, I think, the key skill for all of us. If it, we need to rewire ourselves to become what we've, what we now call change capable, to look at any change that comes to us at worst neutrally, to stop thinking about change as a danger and a threat, and to be able to organize our own mindset so that we look at change neutrally so that we can then decide, is this a good change? Is this a bad change? And if it's good, how do I go through it? Because it's not going to slow down. It's not, you know, we all know this now, but I'm just saying it out loud. It's not like the pandemic is going to magically be over one day and we're going to go back to normal. The, the new normal, I feel like the pandemic has unleashed change to happen even more and it's going to keep happening more social justice, climate change, it's all, it's, you know, it's all happening now. And so we need to get good at this. And that's my, that my main message to people is we can, we can rewire ourselves to become change capable. Thank you, Erica Anderson, author of Change from the Inside Out. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Change Management Review Podcast with Brian Gorman, Managing Editor of the Change Management Review, and Erica Anderson. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and like us on LinkedIn. 